It's hard for me to describe to you a country like Bangladesh. 166 million people, five times the population of Canada, squished into a little bit of area between India and Myanmar. Think of it this way. The capital city of Dhaka has 14 million to 15 million people. So if we take all of the people in Canada from Thunder Bay West including northern Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and B.C., and squish them all into Calgary, you'd have a sense of what it means to be in a place like Dhaka. It is just an incredible mass of humanity. 87% Muslim, 11% Hindu, and the other religions, including Christianity, are just a small proportion. Bengali, the language, is also spoken in Bengal state in India, is, is the sixth most spoken language in the world. And just millions of people who desperately need uh, Jesus Christ. When I go to visit there, often to get me around town because the traffic is so bad, they put me on the back of a motorcycle. It's a bit crazy and, and I pray a lot, but I... I, I I like this motorcycle's license plate. It allows me to swear and praise God at the same time. What you find when you uh, travel in a place, we, 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 I had the privilege of going there and we, we, we preached right in the street. This looks like a tent in a property, but it's actually we're in the middle of the road, a boulevard that somehow Philip got permission to close down right in front of some shops that he has there. And uh, Brent Candle and I, Candlon and I were there and we, we preached on three consecutive nights to, to just thousands of people that were gathered there listening to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray that seed was planted that's going to continue to bring the kind of transformation. When I get into these countries, I'm always reminded as I travel, this is just as we're traveling along the back, you, you see scenes like this, these little kids uh, making do with what they have, enjoying a little fun, uh, teeter-totter, homemade style. What it reminds me of is that when you look at children, you are reminded that we're all the same. Every one of us created in the image of God, loved by God, desperately God wants to see his children come home to him. He wants his lost children to be found. And, and we, we, we work with Philip. He has a number of schools. And in those schools, we do feeding programs and, and provide... Uh, a meal every day. This was a special day because I was there, so they got rice and chicken. Look at how they share. Watch this. Thank you very much. <laughs> we actually, on a, on a regular basis, give them a, a high-energy biscuit. Every day they get something that helps them to, to learn and stay alert and be able to uh, study in school. In addition, uh, Philip's ministry has been very involved with microenterprise. And so, for example, this lady here received a 200 U.S. dollar loan with which she opened this little corner store. And literally, it was a crossroads, a corner store in the middle of a, a village somewhere. But it increased her family income from $2 a day to $8 a day. That's a pretty significant growth for a, a family in a, in a poor country like Bangladesh. But far more important than that, through the training and teaching about business and business practices, this lady and her whole family from a Hindu background 
came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and are members of the church today. They're part of our family. And that's why we go about doing what we do uh, around the world. Philip Adekary, as you heard in the video, at 14 years of age, when he went to his uncle's village, he actually climbed a tree in order to be able to hear the gospel. And he says while he was in that tree and listened to that gospel, he just felt, he felt that something come over him, which he now understands. The Spirit of God came over him, and he knew his life was changed forever. And uh, later he developed his own businesses and a lot of what he does in bringing about the, the, the transformation we're seeing. He's, he's a businessman who has successfully, he, he puts everything he has back into the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He and his whole family has two sons. Both of them are involved in the business and the ministry as they continue to expand the church in, in Bangladesh. So we're very thankful for what God is doing. It reminds me of this principle. The world tries to change things from the top down. We try and fix things politically. We try to fix things by, by adjusting structures. When the real problem that we have in the world is a heart problem, it's a, it, 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 it's a sin problem, and what is needed is a transformation of the human heart. And we believe that if we can change the heart and change a life, you can then change a family. If you change a family, you can change a community. Change a community, you can change a nation. We've got to work from that individual person receiving the good news of the gospel if we want to see the gospel go forward. And we also know that when we plant the seed of the gospel, the fruit we experience is always far beyond what we ask or imagine. God takes that seed of the gospel, uh, that that, uh, Canadian... uh, that went out and preached in Bangladesh in 1977, came from the city of High River, just south of here, by the way. And all those years ago, he went and preached the gospel. He, he had no idea what happened to him. I had the privilege of taking Don Schellenberg back to Bangladesh and said, Don, you preached a sermon all those years ago. I want you to see what happened to the seed of the gospel that you planted so many years ago. And it was a privilege to take him and see that that seed had reaped great uh, benefit. It reminds me of this scripture. Just as, as, as the rain comes down and it waters the ground and it causes it to flourish and bud and, and we reap the harvest, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, says the Lord. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. As we invest in the mission of God, we can be sure that our investment is going to reap eternal blessings that we may never know of until we find ourselves in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ one day. Well, let me back up a little bit. I just wanted to start with that, that story and that theme. It's a privilege to be here this morning, privilege to be with, with Pastor Ben and, 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 and Heather. It was a delight to have Ben. He, uh, he and uh, a pastor from CLA came out to Zimbabwe when I was living there, helped us with a, a new church plant we were doing at that time uh, uh, amongst my other work. I, I loved to plant churches, and I was planting a new church called Jubilee Christian Center, and they came out and worked with us. And, and at other times, uh, other pastors from here uh, have, have been out and been with us in, in the African context where Cindy and I lived and worked for, for 20 years. The last 10 years, my responsibility has been to uh, give leadership to our overall worldwide uh, uh, mission endeavors on behalf of the Pentecost Assemblies of Canada. But, but my, 
at heart, I'm a missionary. My parents were missionaries. I was born on the mission field. I grew up on the mission field. This has been my life. This is my family. And it's really been a privilege to serve uh, uh, the Lord in this way and to serve our fellowship of churches uh, in this way. I brought a little bit of propaganda with me, but truth, the truth is the first service cleaned most of it out. I have some prayer guides here. We do want you to pray. Uh, Kevin Garrett, who spent 775 days in prison in China, is released today because I believe people pray, prayed. In fact, one of our former cabinet ministers, who's the MP for the riding in which I live back in, in, in Ontario, said to the Garrett, she said, I have learned this lesson, the lesson that the power of prayer is greater than the power of politics. Isn't that great? That's what was testified to through this. So we want people to pray for us. We have 330 global workers, missionaries around the world, living in 60 different countries. We work in 75 countries. The Lord has been expanding our reach. And as we see the gospel planted, we, uh, we uh, just give glory to God for all that he's doing. Some of you may wonder, is there any way I could be involved on a volunteer basis? Maybe you're a university student, or you'd like to give a gap year, or three months, or, or a few weeks, or maybe you are going to take early retirement, or maybe you're a family who would like to you know, take a sabbatical for three months. Uh, we, we have a program that seeks to place volunteers alongside our global workers around the world for, for you to have that opportunity. Uh, uh, some of you, when you're getting ready to retire, you're thinking, I'm going to go down to Phoenix every winter, get away from the cold. I want you to know I have lots of hot places to send you. All right? I can help you. So pick up one of these, and, and uh, there's some other ones there and a few other things at the back. You'll find me out that door after the service. Come and talk to me about anything that you would, you, you would like to hear about. I'm going to share this morning some stories. These are just a few stories that illustrate the nature of what the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada does in mission. I can't tell you all the stories. I can tell you a few. A pastor took her little girl into the store and bought her little girl a flashlight. And uh, this little girl was turning the light on and off. She was so excited about this flashlight that when her mom came back, she said, Hey, mom, let's go find some darkness. Friends, there's darkness in our world. Right here in Canada, everywhere we go, there's places where we are to be the light of the world. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That is our mission, to be the light of the world. The problem is, the world is in darkness because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see the light of the gospel. There is a spiritual blindness that's out there and we need God to open blind eyes to the truth. And so Jesus said to Paul, I am sending you to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. We want the family of God to grow as the light of the gospel goes into the world. Now, we have been exposed over the last year to probably the most negative news cycle I can ever remember. Thank God the American election is almost over. I can't, I literally can't stand it anymore. I can't even, I don't want to turn on the news. I don't want to watch CNN. I've just had enough. 
you would think there's nothing good anywhere in the world. It's so negative. I want to tell you some good news stories from a few places around the world. You won't hear these news, these stories on CNN, unfortunately, but that's what I would like to hear on the news. I'm going to start uh, in, in, uh, in, in, in Russia this morning. This is my good friend, Edward Grabovenko. Edward is the leader of the Pentecostal churches of Russia today. He comes from the Ukraine, and when he was a, a young man with his, his young wife, they moved to Perm in Siberia, the gateway to Siberia, as the Iron Curtain came down, and he planted a church there called New Testament Churches. And Perm is the uh, part of the world where, part of Siberia, where they used to make all the weapons that were pointed against us. Reminds me that today is Remembrance Day. And we we need to be incredibly thankful for our service men and women who have sacrificed for the sake of the freedom that we enjoy in our nation here. Yeah. My mother remarried and and her husband is a veteran and I honor him today for for his service. There are many places in the world that don't enjoy the freedoms that we have. Russia was one of those places. So I went to visit Edward. We've had a Canadian working alongside him all of these years by the name of Fred Elian from Kelowna and Vernon area. And as we came in the very first time, I got picked up at the airport and we're driving in. It was early morning and they're going to take us for breakfast. We drove by this magnificent building with the bust of... Lenin in front of it there, and we drove around and parked in the back and got out. And as we got out, I, I, I said to Edward, I said, what is this building? And he looked at me with a little smirk on his face. He says, this is our church. I said, come on. He says, yeah, we've just purchased this. We're currently renovating it. You wouldn't believe how cheaply they got it. And somehow, by God's grace, they snuck it by the authorities. I said to him, Edward, what did it used to be? He says, this used to be the Palace of Lenin. I want you to know that today in the Palace of Lenin, God is being worshipped. You can go there and listen to the same songs that we would sing here. You would recognize them as people worship the Lord. One of the great problems in Siberia, and we have other workers uh, working in Russia, is the problem of drugs and alcohol. And I want you to tell you a story of redemption this morning. I have a video that I'm going to show you here that just talks about the problems of drugs and alcohol and the great uh, the great scourge this is in a country like uh, Russia, particularly in parts of Siberia. Let's watch this. There are seven and a half million registered drug addicts in this country. The man who is in charge of the force that fights drugs in the government, this man says this number needs to be multiplied by two. So 15 million drug addicts. That's not just a problem. That's a, an epidemic. Our mission is to bring hope within reach of every addict so that if they want, they can receive that help. This brother, his name is Pasha. He was a desperate drug addict. In 2002, I used to use narcotics. I was in the prison for 
Вот моя жизнь, она была полностью разрушена. Мое здоровье, моя семья. Здесь я начал употреблять наркотики. Я не знаю, с чем сравнить. Вот. Я просто каждый день мучился, мне было плохо. Мне нужны были наркотики. Однажды я зашел домой, и там сидел отчим, мама, а моя младшая сестра. И я зашел с ножом и забрал все вещи, которые у них были дорогие. Their friend, who is a hunter, to take him on a hunting trip and kill him in the winter in the forest. Когда я пошел ночью в лес с одним мужчиной, да, с одним мужиком, он взял с собой карабин, нож. Это естественно для охотника. Когда мы зашли в лес, он потерялся из вида и было очень темно. У меня не было ни фонаря, ничего. The hunter was supposed to shoot him. He couldn't pull a trigger. Каким-то чудесным образом. Я кричал, кричал, не мог найти. Я просто наткнулся, пошел в какую-то сторону, сам не видел, просто наткнулся на этого мужика. Он сидел на корточках. Мы пришли домой, я так и не понял, зачем мы ходили. И потом мне признали, что от меня хотели просто избавиться. Опаша был so hurt and so angry with his mother and his stepfather, and he said. They wanted to kill me. I'm going to kill them. Suddenly, his mother hears the gospel. She gets saved. And she gets filled with the Holy Spirit. She got so bold that she actually went and found her son in one of those drug-infested areas. And she begins preaching to him and says, Pasha, you need Jesus. If she didn't не хотела со мной встречаться, и когда она видела меня возле подъезда, она специально ждала, пока я куда-то уйду. И также мой отчим, он не хотел вообще со мной иметь никаких взаимоотношений. Но я увидел, что что-то поменялось в матери, она стала приходить, приходить ко мне, она перестала меня бояться. Только Бог мог, я не знаю, столько зла я сделал, я два раза обокрал мать, вынес все самое дорогое из квартиры. Так ее обзывал, мучил, я пытался как-то отомстить ей отчима, обкрадывал сколько раз. When he saw his mother so bold, he said, wow, something happened to her. I better go check it out. And so he said he went for the first time to church, and he said he felt such peace. Когда однажды я просто сам стал бояться, потому что... Что-то начало происходить со мной. And finally he came to us and he said, "Please, I need help. I heard that you have a program. Can you take me in?" And we took him in. Мало того, я, я не хотел бросать наркотики, но то отношение, которое я увидел в центре, оно, конечно, начало меня исцелять. Естественно, это молитва, общение со мной. And so he went through the program, and now he is the director of the Source of Life, which is a teen challenge program in Novokuznetsk. Не думаю, но иногда я я прокручиваю эти моменты все и понимаю, что да, действительно, ну я не должен был жить в тот день. Моя жизнь должна была оборваться. Это действительно чудо. Это было все прощено, все стерто.
Every time I go to Siberia, I have the privilege of being with Pasha and continuing to see what the Lord is doing. If you change a life, you can change a family. Change a family, change a community. Change a community, change a nation. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me take you to Cuba for a moment, another place. I, and, and the reason I'm, I'm telling you, you know, we used to think of the Iron Curtain and the Russian world as that place that was a big wall you couldn't break through. But God broke through that. Now sometimes we think of the big wall as the Islamic or religious world. Well, just as surely as he broke through the Iron Curtain, he can break through this religious curtain with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the story of Cuba. In 1959, when the, when the revolution uh, came, uh, Castro took over. The church was banned. Religion was banned. Uh, it was the opium of the people. You didn't need it anymore. And we had about 300 churches in the Assemblies of God at that time. And many of the churches were confiscated. Pastors were put in prison. And by 1970, it seemed, it seemed like the scheme of the devil was working. The church had been reduced down in its size and significance. And the pastors were discouraged. But a, a number of Canadians, my dad went in there at one point in the early 19th. 1980s and would go in and visit and encourage the church. And in 1988, a revival began. Miracles and all kinds of things started to happen. By 1998, there were 300 churches. By 2008, 3,000 churches. 2012, 6,000 churches. I was there last year and they, 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 I asked them, what is it now? They said, it's 8,500 churches. It's just expanding. They're, they're house churches. They're Churches in people's homes, upstairs in people's houses. God is just growing his church. And what I find is this incredible joy. So let me let you share some of that this morning. This is the church in Cuba. They don't look too oppressed. There's a lot of joy there. And not much of a generation gap. Old, young, it doesn't matter. When Jesus gets you, your feet start dancing. So this is my favorite lady. I call her my dancing Cuba lady. I take her everywhere I go. I'd like to be like that when I get a little older. She danced for an hour. Little moonwalk. There she goes. Then was I was when I was preaching, she had a little snooze. She had tired herself out, so there you go. I was back uh, just last year, and I was back at the same church again for the first time, and I wondered if she was still dancing. Well, she was a little older, and she came in with a cane, so the dancing shoes were probably parked, but there she was at the front, still worshiping the Lord. God has, has transformed a nation. And right now with the Cuban church, we are helping them as they prepare to send missionaries out from Cuba around the world. I made the mistake of saying to the superintendent, I, he was talking about where they want to go to difficult places. I said, you know, it, it's, it's hard to go to difficult places. And he looked at me like I was crazy. He says, he says we know hard. That's what God's prepared us for. So he says, don't worry about us. So we thank the Lord for for what he's doing. Let me take you to Guinea, West Africa. This is a, a West African country, primarily Islamic. And uh, 
number of years ago, a global worker went out. This is where Ebola was so bad. Our global worker actually passed away last year, in the, not from Ebola, but in the midst of the Ebola crisis, I went out to do the funeral. But we started in, in 1993 uh, with renting this building. It was a haunted house. Nobody else wanted it. Well, we took the haunted house, cleaned it up, got rid of whatever was in there, and, and today it's a church. And after the uh, funeral, I preached there on the Sunday morning. There were two services full. But not only that, that church has planted 48 other churches through the country in a very difficult part of the world. And, and so we, we see that God can break through with the light of the gospel in the midst of any darkness that is out there. We're not afraid of, of that. They also have schools. And so you have opportunity to influence uh, children through that. I, I, I like your theme, the, the uh, heart for the house. I want to put a little twist on it uh, this morning. I like to think of the, the church as the heart of the community. The church is the heart of the nation. The house is the heart. And it is what pumps life and hope and truth into the midst of community. I, I think of this church right here. You've been planted here in the center of Calgary for many years. And just think of what Calgary would be like if the church was not present. You know, sometimes people say, what good does the church do? Let me tell you, when the church is not present, there is chaos, there is darkness, there's all kinds of problems. But where the church is present, it brings peace and hope into the community. We are the heart of the community in which we live, and you need to think about yourself in those terms as you think about what Calgary needs and what Alberta needs. Be the heart, be the hope, be the truth and light of the gospel right here in this community. And so we reach lost people wherever they are. We plant churches, communities of Jesus followers that bring light and hope into those communities. But then those churches need leaders. And so a big part of what we do overseas in our international mission work is we train leaders. And I'm just going to show you a little video here about training leaders in Egypt. You folks have been supporting J.J. and Rachel Starkey for many years. Thank you for that. One of their roles then, there has been leadership in the school that trains many of the leaders. And uh, this is what we're going to raise money for. We are coming alongside because we believe that this college is uniquely placed, not just in Egypt, but in the Middle East, and is training leaders in the Arabic world to take the gospel into that very difficult part of the world. Let's watch this this morning. Equipping ministry is a type of ministry that has a multiplicative effect. When you can train leaders, you know that you are releasing them not only to have influence in a context that immediately surrounds them, but they will produce other leaders. They will grow other leaders. And and so you send out a cascade of change. You send out a, uh, a wave of transformation. My name is Kirk Caulfield. I've been working for the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada in equipping work all over the world for the past 16 years. Egypt is a place where there's a critical mass of Christians. You may be surprised to know that there's a Pentecostal Bible college in Egypt under the umbrella of the evangelical churches. It's a registered ministry training center 
with six campuses all around the country, preparing dedicated Christian workers, keen on studying God's Word in response to His call in their lives, to bring the good news and to bless the nations. Through your support, we can provide them with learning resources. We can help them with their operational needs. We can send expert curriculum writers and administrative planners to build the capacity of the college. And we can support students with financial scholarships so that they can see their students go and be productive and fruitful. So that they can, in years to come, hear back about how a certain young man or young woman's ministry as they went to a difficult place and were used by God to make a difference there was shaped by the transformation they experienced in the college. We're looking forward to the fruit that'll come from the investment we're making in equipping young men and young women for work in the Middle East and North Africa. What a great privilege to be working in that part of the world and believing God for the same kind of breakthrough of that wall, that religious wall that keeps people from hearing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I like to look at the world this way, and these maps help me a little bit. Every one of those red dots on that map represents an unreached people group, a place in the world where there really is no church to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. Less than 2% followers of Jesus Christ. In many of those places, there's some places you can go and shake the hands of 100,000 people and you won't shake the hand of one believer. There simply is no church present. You can break it up by religions. The green is the Islamic world, the yellow, the Hindu world, the, the orange, the Buddhist world. I thank God for people like Jeff and Sarah who went into a North African country, 29 million people, 99.9% Muslim, no open missionary work allowed. They went in on a business platform, but they went into the southern part of the country and in the first few years saw over 40 baptisms, now over 80 baptisms. They have communities of Jesus followers that are now present in a country where they're a part of the country where there simply was no church. That's now the first church in that part of the world, the first heart to bring life. But lest we think it's all in places like that, I want you to look at Europe for a moment. Every one of those light blue countries represent a country that is less than 1% evangelical believers. Spain, France, Italy, Greece... Poland, Austria. I want to thank you as a church for your support of the LifeSpring Center. We are seeking to develop and build a church planting training center within the European context to help us to train church planters for these very countries that used to be Christian and are now considered post-Christian because they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. The red countries on that map represent countries where half the population is under the age of 18. Children and next generation is a primary focus of many of our efforts in international missions today. The opportunity to reach and touch children around the world in Central America, in Africa, in the Middle East, in parts of Southeast Asia is a significant part of what God has called us to do. 
And finally, we're called to minister to the poor. And the lighter the country on that map, the poorer the country. There are countries today that experience incredible poverty. Unfortunately, Africa, where I grew up, I was born, it's, I consider it my, my home. You know, it's not a, there's no simple answer to why. Africa is rich in resources. It's rich in wonderful people. And yet, because of the many different factors, you can't boil it down to one thing. It continues to face difficulty. But I do know this. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ has penetrated sub-Saharan Africa so much that there is a social uplift that's coming and that map is going to change because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that because historically that's what happens. The gospel is powerful. Well, my time is up. I'm going to just stop with this. And, and you guys know the word charis. Charismata, Eucharist. The word charis is the Greek word for grace or gift. And really, it's a cycle of blessing. God gives grace to you and I so that through the gifts of the Spirit, we can give grace to others so that they in turn can give thanks and grace back to God. What it says to us is don't be an end user of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be a receiver of grace without giving grace. And that comes in multiple ways. We give grace by prayer. We give grace through our giving. In fact, the word for grace and giving are often interchangeable in the New Testament. And we're also told to share the good news of the gospel, Jesus Christ, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family, and as a collective group of people to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only to our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. That's what God calls us to do. That is the mission of God. So friends, thank you for your support, and let's keep finding the darkness and shedding the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless you this morning.